All right. Thank you, Pastor. I can say when they sung that song, it's been a long journey. I didn't know we was going to get here or not. And we got uh, directions off of MapQuest. And I'm no big fan of technology. And this is just one more reason not to rely on that mess. And, but we got here thanks to the brother that uh, talked us in, literally. And I appreciate him helping us. And uh, Pastor, thank you again for the invitation to be here. And it's just an honor to be here in the house of God. And, and wasn't this choir a blessing? Amen. And what a blessing, uh, Brother uh, Tory got a great choir here. And you don't hear singing like that in every church you go to. And uh, you've got something special here, and I praise the Lord for it. And it's been a great uh, joy to know your pastor. And I'm excited about what God's doing here in your church and through your pastor and uh, the good reports of people being saved and, and the people of God excited. You don't see that in every church you go to anymore in America. Uh, you used to, but you don't. But I appreciate the Lord blessing and Blessing in this place, and good to hear the good reports of the service last night. And I appreciate your prayers. Appreciate my bodyguards being here tonight, Ben and and Jerry. And really, if anybody wants to beat me up, then they, you know, they go after them. All I got to do is outrun these two guys, and I'm all right. And but I appreciate them coming and helping me and uh, riding with me. And I appreciate the presence of the Lord. I want you to take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Luke, chapter number nineteen. Luke chapter number 19, when you found your place, let's stand together and honor the Word of God and we'll read these verses and then we'll pray and then you can sit down. Luke chapter number 19 and let's begin reading in verse number 11. The Bible said, as they heard these things, he added and spake a parable because he was nigh to Jerusalem and because they thought the kingdom of God should immediately appear. He said, therefore, a certain nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and to return. And he called his ten servants and delivered them ten pounds and said unto them, Occupy till I come. But his citizens hated him and sent a message after him, saying, We will not have this man to reign over us. And it came to pass that when he was returned, having received the kingdom, then he commanded these servants to be called unto him, to whom he had given the money, that he might know how much every man had gained by trading. Then came the first, saying, Lord, thy pound hath gained ten pounds. And he said unto him, Well, thou good servant, because thou hast been faithful in very little, have thou authority over ten cities. And the second came, saying, Lord, thy pound hath gained five pounds. And he said, Likewise to him, be thou also over five cities. And another came, saying, Lord, behold, here's thy pound, which I've kept laid up in a napkin. For I feared thee, because thou art an austere man. Thou takest up that thou laidest not down, and reapest that thou didst not sow. And he said unto him, Out of thine own mouth will I judge thee, thou wicked servant. Thou knewest that I was an astute man, taking up that I laid not down, and reaping that I did not sow. Wherefore then gavest not thou my money into the bank, that in my coming I might have required mine own with usury. And he said unto them that stood by, Take from him the pound, and give it to him that hath ten pounds. And he said unto him, Lord, he hath ten pounds. For I say unto you, that unto every one which hath shall be given. And from him that hath not, even that he hath, shall be taken away from him. But those mine enemies which would not that I should reign over them, bring hither and slay them before me. And when he had thus spoken, he went before, ascending up to Jerusalem. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, we're certainly grateful for the day, for the hour that you've given us. Lord, to be in the house of God once again. Thank you, Lord, for traveling grace. And Lord, we thank you, Father, for grace, Father, that saved us and brought us thus far in the journey. Lord, I pray, dear God, Father, tonight for wisdom. Lord, I pray, God, you'll set a guard upon my mouth that I might not say anything that's contrary to thy word. And Father, I pray, God, you'll encourage us tonight. 
Lord, may we give attention, Lord, to the Word of God and the things of God. Father, I pray most of all for that one that may be in our midst that's nearest hell, that's never accepted Christ as their personal Savior. Lord, may this be the day and the hour when they repent of their sin and by faith receive Christ as their personal Savior. Father, I pray that you'll bless this church and this congregation, this pastor. Thank you, Father, for this time that we've gathered together tonight. And Lord, I pray, God, you'll help us, Father, tonight to preach the word. And Lord, for everything that's said and done, we'll give God the praise. For it's in Christ's name we do pray. Amen. You can be seated. I want to use verse number 13 as our text verse tonight. And look at the phrase there at the end of that verse where Jesus said to the disciples, and he says to us tonight, to occupy till I come. Many years ago, around 2000, 2001, I, I took a Baptist history trip to New England. And we flew into the state of Connecticut and we toured that state and others. But while we were there in Connecticut, we began to learn about Baptist history there. And we come across a very interesting story in Hartford. Uh, before it was a state, it was a colony. And uh, many men, the leaders of the colony, had gathered there in Connecticut to do the business of the colony. And in the middle of the day, there was a solar eclipse. And the men there in the assembly hall uh, were full of fear. And they wanted to adjourn the meeting and go home. But a Baptist preacher who was an elected assemblyman there uh, in the legislature of the colony of Connecticut, he stood up in the mist and tried to calm the men. And he said, men, he said, listen, I don't know if this is the end of time. He said, I don't know if this is the day when Jesus is coming back. He said, but I do know this. When Jesus comes, I want him to find me at my post doing my duty. In other words, he says, I want to occupy till he comes. And that's exactly what Jesus is telling the disciples and telling us tonight. That we don't know the day and the hour when he's coming. We know that he's coming, but we need to occupy or be busy in the work and the ministry that God has called us to do. We're living in perilous times, and time's very short. And we don't, we're not promised another day, another hour. And so we need to be busy in the work of God. And there's several things here in this parable that I want to bring out where Jesus told these men to occupy till he comes and to be busy doing something. And you and I who are saved by the grace of of God tonight need to be busy, not sitting on the sidelines watching the world die lost and go to hell, but get busy in reaching souls, get busy in the work of God, do something for the cause of Christ, because one of these days we're going home. Now let me give you three things here, what we need to be occupying doing or be busy doing in these days. First of all, as we read this parable, I see that we need to be busy watching. Now let me tell you something. The surest thing in the world tonight, now there's a lot of things I'm not sure about. I'm not sure about tomorrow. I'm not sure about, be about, about my next meal and things like that. But there's one thing I can be sure of, is that one of these days, Jesus is going to step out of the clouds of glory, and the trump of God's going to sound, and a shout go out, and the Bible says the dead in Christ are raised first, and you and I, which are alive and remain, shall be caught up together in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. That day is coming. And you and I who are saved, we are commanded, we are told to watch and look for the coming of the Savior. And the Bible tells us that in the book of Acts, the very first promise as he ascended back into heaven was given to us that as he went away, he'll come back in like manner. And the book of Revelation ends with that promise, with John praying, even so, come Lord Jesus. And for the church, the blessed hope is the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. I believe in the literal bodily return of the Lord Jesus Christ one of these days. Now, I don't know the day. I don't know the hour. And I know there have been men in the past and the present 
And if time remains in the future, that will try to set the, uh, the date of when Christ comes. But we don't know the day. We don't know the hour. We live every minute in anticipation that this could be the day, this could be the hour when the Lord Jesus returns. Now this thing of date setting, I believe, is nothing but a ploy of the devil to confuse people concerning the coming of Christ. And it's nothing new. Back in 1848, there was a Baptist preacher by the name of William Miller. And his followers became known as the Millerites. And he was there in the state of Vermont. And he preached and taught his congregation that the Lord was coming on March the 21st, 1848. They sold everything they had. They sold their houses, their land, their livestock. And they climbed the highest mountain in the state. And climbed the highest hill there. And put on white robes. And they all climbed trees. And they sat there all day. You know what happened? Absolutely nothing. March the 21st came. March the 21st went. What happened? Nothing. Why? Because man doesn't know the day nor the hour when the Son of Man cometh. Even back in 1988, there was a man by the name of Edgar Winsett that wrote a book, 88 Reasons Why Christ Will Come in 88. He sold 4.5 million copies of that garbage. You know what happened? Absolutely nothing. 1988 came, 1988 went. Why, preacher? Because man doesn't know the day nor the hour when the Son of Man cometh. We don't know when it's coming. We just know that it's coming. And we need to be busy watching and anticipating His coming. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter number 10, verse 25, not forsaking the assemblies ourselves as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another. And so much the more as you see the day approaching. What day is he talking about? He's talking about the day of Christ. He said if there's ever been a time that God's people need to band together as a church and worship and study the Word of God and know the Word of God, it's in the day and hour that we're living in. And do that much more as we see the day approaching. We know that it's coming. These servants, they watched for their master to return. He had gone away and they knew that their master was as good as his word. The Bible said in verse number 12 that he went into a far country. And may I say that our Lord has gone into a far country. Over 2,000 years ago, he is sitting back into heaven. You know what? One of these days, he's coming back because he's good as his word. And you and I who are saved need to be busy watching for the Lord to return. And many people Say, preacher, where's the promise? We've heard all, all of our life that Jesus is coming. Where's the promise of His coming? Right here it is. It's the Word of God. You can take it to the bank. It's forever settled in heaven. And if Jesus said He's coming back, mark her down. He's coming back. So not only as a servant of God, we need to be busy watching, but I see number two, as the people of God, we need to be busy working. Now write this statement down, or remember it if you can. A watching Christian will be a working Christian. Now look back at that text here. The Bible said in verse number 12 that the nobleman went into the far country to receive a kingdom for himself and to return. And so he commissioned his servants here in verse number 13 with a duty, with a task. And he said, listen, I'm going to come again. And so these first two servants are watching servants. How do I know they're watching servants? Because they're working. They're working. They knew that the master had gone away and he was good as his word and he would return. And when he returns, it would be a time of accountability. What happened when the master got back? He called the first servant who he had given, uh, given the pound to. 
And then they called the second servant. And they each gave an account to the Lord for what they'd done. But let me stop and say this. I'm not serving the Lord tonight because, uh, to keep my salvation. I'm not serving the Lord to be saved. I'm serving God because I am saved. Because I've been born again. The night that God saved me and the Holy Spirit of God moved into my heart. Brother, He put a desire in my heart, my life, to do something for God. And I'm not working to be saved or to keep anything. I've got it all. And He's got all of me. But I'm serving the Lord because He's put a desire in my heart to do something for Jesus. And these servants were watching servants because they were working. They did not want the master to return and find them doing nothing. You know what the first stopping off place for the church is after the rapture? The judgment seat of Christ. What are we going to do there, preacher? Give an account of sin? Absolutely not. Our sin, the penalty of our sin debt was paid at Calvary. And if you mess up now as a child of God, God takes you to the holy woodshed and beats the devil out of you until you get right. And if you don't straighten up, he'll stretch you out and take you home. He deals with sin now. When we get to the judgment seat of Christ, we're going to give account of our service. How we served the Lord from the time that he saved us to the time that he took us home. And uh, Paul talks about the different rewards that we'll have. Some of those who serve the Lord because they loved him and they had a love for souls, they'll have rewards of silver and gold. Precious stone. He'll stand the test of fire. But then there'll be others who are saved, but they were man pleasers. They did what they did for personal recognition. They wanted to hear the praise of men. Pats on the back. And when they get the judgment seat of Christ, their works will be burned up because they didn't have the right motive. A working Christian will be a watching Christian. One of these days, folks, we're going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Paul said, we must all, including himself, stand before the judgment seat of Christ and give an account of what we've done for the Lord. What have we done? What kind of rewards will we have when we get to the judgment seat? And I know that day's coming. That's the first stepping off place. We need to be busy watching and be busy working. And then, number three, we need to be busy warning This passage here is a warning against slothfulness and laziness. But it also tells us that we, as the people of God, need to be in the business of warning people to flee the wrath to come. Now, when you begin to study this out and you begin to look at this, the parallel passage of this is uh, the the parable of the ten virgins that underlines the importance of waiting and watching for the Lord's return. When you begin to look at this and we think about the people that God has always had down through time. God's always had a witness in every dispensation. God's always had a people or a preacher to warn the people. I think about the man by the name of Noah. And God came to Noah one day and said, Listen, I'm going to destroy all living flesh. I mean, every bit of it was wipe it off. But the Bible says that Noah found grace in the eyes of God. Thank God for grace. Aren't you glad you found grace in the house of God? And he came to Noah and said, Noah, I want you to build me an ark because it's going to rain. And you realize, of course, up to this time, it had never rained a drop. God had watered the earth through the mist or the dew that had come up. And so Noah goes about with God's blueprint building this ark. 
And as he's building, he's preaching. And he's warning people about the judgment of God. And not only warning them about the judgment of God, but he's saying, listen, when we get the ark built, that's going to be the ark of safety. We want you to come in so you can escape the judgment of God. And the Bible says he preached for 120 years. Preached. Built the ark and worked because judgment was coming. And you think a man with a ministry of 120 years, he'd have thousands and thousands of converts. You'd think that, wouldn't you? Over a course of 120 years. But you know how many people were saved? Only eight souls. Noah, Mrs. Noah, their three sons, and their three wives. What in the world were the people doing? Well, I'm glad you asked that because I'm going to show you. Look at Matthew chapter number 24. Matthew chapter 24. They were doing the same thing then as people are doing today. Matthew chapter 24. Look at verse number 36. Let's pick up there. But at that day and hour, no, no man, not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark. Now let me stop and say this. Is it wrong? Is anything wrong with eating? Nothing wrong with that. Matter of fact, I like doing it. That's one of the joys of life is to eat. And some of us like to do it more, you know, more than others. Nothing wrong with eating. Is anything wrong with drinking a bottle of pop, glass of sweet tea, cup of coffee, glass of milk? Nothing wrong with that. Now there's something wrong when a child of God wants to drink a beer or champagne or wine coolers or cocktails or martinis. Hey, that's an abomination in the eyes of God. And they shouldn't touch the lips of a child of God. There's something wrong with that. And if you've got a desire to drink that stuff, there's something wrong. Better check up. But there's nothing wrong with eating, nothing wrong with having a glass of water, a glass of milk. Nothing wrong with that. Anything wrong with a godly man and a godly woman getting married? Nothing wrong with that. Anything wrong with you giving your godly daughter to marry a godly man? Nothing wrong with that. But there is something wrong with two men two women. That's sin in the eyes of God. I don't care who you are, what political party you're affiliated with. It's sin in the eyes of God. But there's nothing wrong with a godly young man marrying a godly young woman. So what's Jesus saying? Jesus is saying this. That the people in Noah's day were more concerned about the daily routines of life, the temple things of life, than they were the eternal things of God. They gave no thought about death. They gave no thought about their eternal existence, where they were going to spend eternity. And may I say, that's where we are tonight in America. Nobody wants to think about eternity. They're concerned about eating and drinking now and living it up now and starting their families now. And there's nothing wrong with that under God. But these people were concerned about the only daily routines of life and the things of life. And Noah comes on the scene and he begins to warn them and he tells them, hey, hey, God's going to send a flood and it's going to destroy everything. You've got to come in. And when the day came, the animals had come in. God calls his people in. And you realize for a week that the door of the ark set open. Set open. You know what God was saying? Whosoever will, let him come on in to the ark of safety. And going into that ark was an act of faith. 
But only eight souls were saved. Let me tell you, somebody needs to warn this world in spite of what they may say or what they may do. For 120 years, he worked and he warned the people. And they laughed at him. They mocked him. They scoffed at him. Here was a man talking about rain. What's rain? Building a boat? Nowhere near a large body of water? He must be insane. But he was faithful to warn them. Let me tell you something. This generation, they may laugh at us. They may scoff at us. They may call us names. I had a man one time spit in my face because I led his brother to the Lord. But in spite of what they do or say, they still need to be warned. We still have a responsibility to tell this world, this generation, that if you don't get saved, if you don't accept Christ as your personal Savior, you'll spend an endless existence in a place called hell. Not only tell them about judgment, but tell them how they can escape that judgment. And the only way a person can be saved and spend eternity in heaven is faith in Christ. Plus nothing, minus nothing. It's the grace of God. That's all it is. It's the grace of God that allowed Noah to preach that message. It was the grace of God that, uh, uh, that he built the ark. But he had to warn. You know what God has left us here to do? We're here to watch. We're here to work. But at the same time, we're here to warn and tell these people in this world, listen, that judgment is coming. And the only way to escape that judgment is in the ark of safety. I think about sometimes, you ever get alone with God in your private devotions? You ought to anyway. Have some private devotions, some quiet time with God. Sometimes for me, it's out in the barn. (laughs) Sometimes it may be out in the far field. I'm out by myself walking, talking to God. Sometimes you've got to come apart from everything else. And just get along with God. Sometimes it's my study there. And I get to thinking sometimes about the people God used in my life to warn me. To share with me the gospel. Or giving me a gospel track. I weeped over my soul. Prayed over my soul. And I get to thinking, Lord, you've used this person, this person. Lord, use me. <laughs> use me! To warn somebody. I think about when we was growing up. Uh, Mom and dad split up. And I was about eight, nine years old, I guess, when that happened. And, uh, no, I was about seven. I was about seven, I guess. Because I got saved when I was eight. But mama took us out of public school and put us in Christian school. And we went to Christian school, White Plains Baptist Church Christian School there in White Plains, North Carolina, just outside of Mount Airy. That's where I grew up, on the side of Mount Airy in Low Gap, at the foot of the mountain. And uh, you realize when you're sent to public, I mean, to, to Christian school from public school, there's probably a reason. Probably public school don't want you. <laughs> in our case, that's about what it was. And the preacher, Miss Lackey, were probably the greatest soul winners Mount Airy's ever seen. And uh, I remember every day I was in Miss Lackey's office, not because I was good, but because I was bad. I seen her every day. And I was, Miss Lackey was an was a unusual lady. Uh, she was a big lady. I mean, she wasn't fat like me. She was tall, big-boned. And uh, she had white hair, white as snow, come out mid- mid- midway of her back. And she played uh, professional softball back during the Depression, during World War II. So she's a very, very large lady, very tall lady. And I was scared of her. I mean, just to look at her, uh, you, she scared you, scared the little kids. And I'd go into the office every day, and my teacher would send me up there uh, report to Miss Lackey. 
And the first thing I'd do when I went in, she didn't ask me why I was there, if I was being good, if I was getting my work done. The first thing she asked me, Brother Ben, Billy, are you saved? I was afraid of her. I scared a lot to her. And I hung my head in shame and I said, no, Miss Lackey, put my hands in my pocket. I'm not saved. Shuffle my feet. Billy, won't you get saved today? Don't you want to be saved right now and go to heaven? No, Miss Lackey, not today. Maybe one day. Not today. And she'd go on and on. Every day. Every day she'd ask me. You know what she was doing? She was warning me. And then one day, during the summer, we, we stayed down during, for daycare too. And uh, if you go to, to the church today, the office is still here. The playground is gone now because the, uh, the connector, the 74 connectors come through there and taking mo- most of that. But when you went in there and the church is here, there's a big gymnasium where they had the Jubilee and then where we played there in the gymnasium. And right in front of the gymnasium is a graveyard. Preacher Miss Lackey are buried there now. And then there's a drive there. But off to the right of that drive and cemetery was a playground. And this boy, about five or six of us, was out on the playground one day. And we were playing, you know, just being our mean self. And this guy pulled up in a black, beautiful, shiny Cadillac. We'd never think, seen anything so pretty. I mean, we're from the sticks. We'd never seen anything like that. And that thing glistened and glowed in the sun. And uh, this man got out of that beautiful car and he had a three-piece suit on. And later found out he was from Moody's funeral home. He was there to do, a, do something with one of the tombstones. And he got out with the trunk of his car and was getting some tools out. And we all run up to the edge of the fence and we was looking at this car. And I asked that man, I said, Hey, mister, what are you doing? He said, You don't know and you don't want to know. Well, now, you just don't go smarting off to a bunch of kids at Christian school. You're going to pay for that. And that man disappeared after he got his tools off into the cemetery and was gone out of sight, just gone, didn't know where he went. And there'd been a fresh rain out there on the playground. And there was mud puddles here and mud puddles there. So we made some mud pies and dirt balls. And we covered that car from bumper to bumper. It no longer shined. It no longer glistened in the sun. It was nothing to behold once we got done. And that man directly come out of the cemetery. And when he seen what we'd done to his car, brother, he was hot as a wet, uh, as a wet hen. He like a teapot. He got red around his neck and then up, popped up through the top. He marched out there on the playground with his fist in his hand and said, I demand to know who's responsible for this. I said, you don't know and you don't want to know. <laughs> well, that did not sit well with him. You can imagine what he done. He went to the office. And reality began to sit in. Here come Miss Lackey. Had a fly swat in one hand and she was making them long strides across the parking lot. That hair flowing in the wind, those nostrils are flaring. She walked out there, she said, boys, line up! We didn't question her. We lined up, stair-stepped. And I was at the end. We marched us, she marched us back into the office where Miss Payne was at, the church secretary. And she said, Miss Payne, come on in here. And she brought us all in, there's five of us. And she pulled up our breeches legs and she pulled down our socks and she switched the back of our legs. Now, some people said, well, that's abuse. No, that's correction. There's a difference between abuse and correction. She switched the back of our legs and we were carrying on and snotting and crying and carrying on. We was already in the floor so she got down the floor with us. And she pulled up all five of us boys up next to her. I don't remember a lot 
about my early years in school, but I do remember this. There was a godly white-haired lady that loved this old boy enough to warn me. And she pulled all five of us boys up next to her and she began to pray. She said, Lord, Samson, Luke, he's a good boy. Lord, I love him, but he needs to be saved. Lord, Billy, I love him, but he needs to be saved. God, save him. And I thought to myself, who does this woman think she is? Doesn't beat the devil out of us and now she's praying for us? And I know I, I, I should have been praying, but I peeped. And as she was praying, tears streaming down her face. You know what she was doing? She was weeping over my soul. She was warning me, telling me I needed to be saved. Thank God for those people in our life that warned us, that gave us a gospel track, that wept over our soul, that prayed over us, that took the time to tell us about Jesus. And I think about her often. She's in heaven now. And I think, Lord, I want to be just like her. I want to be busy warning people. See, time's short. The Bible tells us that we're living in perilous times. And one of these days, Jesus is coming for the church. And if we don't get busy now, many of our loved ones are going to be left behind. Lost. I've got a lost daddy. 65 years old. Needs to be saved. I think about it every day. Day doesn't go by that I don't think about my daddy. Try to talk to him about Jesus. Try to warn him. He knows. He knows. But I think about those who have never been warned. You realize even in the Bible Belt, there are people living here in North Carolina that have never heard a clear presentation of the gospel. Oh, they've heard something muddied up with works. You got to get baptized to be saved, or you got to do this and do that. No, it's I trust Jesus plus nothing, minus nothing. The Philippian jailer asked Paul and Silas, Church, what must I do to be saved? One clear answer was given. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. That's what the gospel is. It's a simple message. And it needs to be shared. God help us to be busy warning people about hell, about the judgment and the wrath of God, but at the same time telling them about the ark of safety, that they can escape the judgment of hell simply by trusting Jesus. Now you may be here tonight and you lost. You know what I'm doing? I'm warning you. I'm telling you, you need to be saved. I'm warning you that if you continue down the road that you're going, lost without Christ as your personal Savior, you're going to die one of these days and spend eternity in hell. That's not my opinion. That's not my interpretation. That's the Bible. But God's allowed you to come here one more time to hear one more warning and invite you into the ark of safety. I never preach this message or preach along these lines without thinking about somebody. God put somebody's name on my heart, on my mind that's lost, that needs to hear, that needs to be warned. And God help us to be busy doing just that. You know, one of these days I want to hear him say just what he said right here to this servant. Well done. Well done. Well done. And you know the only way we're going to hear him say well done is if we've been faithful. 
if we've been faithful in the work that He's called us to do. And you say, now preacher, I've not been called to preach. No, but you're called to be a witness. Acts 1.8. What does the witness do? You tell everything you've seen, heard, and experienced. That's what you do. And everybody who's been saved can be a witness. If you're here this, this evening, I invite, if you're lost, I invite you to come. Get saved. Don't disregard the warning as people did in Noah's day. I'm glad I heard the warning, aren't you? I'm glad that I listened to the Holy Spirit of God the night there on that pew where my grandpa pastored. God came knocking on my heart's door. And as an eight-year-old boy, I realized I was lost. And if I died in that lost condition, I knew I was going to spend eternity in a place called hell. Thank God for salvation. But if you're lost tonight, tonight's the night of salvation. If you've been as a child of God sitting on the sidelines, now's the time to get in the work. Roll up your sleeves, get busy. Go to your pastor. Say, Brother Tory, is there anything I can do? He'll give you something to do. And when you got visitation, sign up, go up, knock on doors. Go out, warn people to flee the wrath to come. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, we're certainly grateful for the word of God tonight. and Lord, we're thankful that somebody warned us. Lord, I'm so thankful tonight that I can pillow my head. Not worry about dying lost or going to hell. But sleep like a baby knowing that everything's all right. That the sin question's been settled. That my name's recorded in the Lamb's Book of Life. Before I realize there may be some in our service tonight that can't say that. They're troubled when they think about death. They're bothered when they think about eternity. And when they hear the preacher preach on hell. Lord, I pray, dear God, tonight that they'll listen to the warnings that the Holy Spirit of God is bringing upon their heart and their mind. May they get under Holy Ghost conviction. And Father, may they step out tonight and repent of their sin and receive Jesus as their personal Savior. Father, for those of us who are saved, help us, Lord, to be busy warning, working, telling others about Jesus. Lord, the world's dying, lost, and going to hell. Many of us sitting on the sidelines doing nothing about it. Help us, God, tonight. Lord, stir within our soul and our heart that we might make a determination, Father, tonight. We're not going to sit idly by, but we're going to be busy warning because somebody warned us. Lord, help us to warn others. Thank you, Father, for the word. I pray, God, tonight that you'll speak to our hearts. Lord, for those things that are said and done, we'll give God the praise. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Heads your bowed eyes are closed.